Well, good morning, church. I'm supposed to stand on this X. It's blinding. But if I stand over here and hold my iPad, I kind of get that glow like Moses when he came down off of the mountain. So it's a tough choice. I'm Greg England. If you don't know that, it's probably a good thing because I'm a funeral director. And uh, so if you don't know me, that's a good thing. Um, I've been going to this church and the church previously known as Chorus for about what six years, I guess. So if you're a guest here today, I just want to say sincerely, welcome home. It's a good place to be. And uh, I hope that, that this community of faith will become your community and your family. Chris, great songs today. Thanks. Yeah. If, I, if I were going to try to pick some songs for my lesson... That Chosen Generation, I don't even know that song, but that was great. Thanks, bro. So, you've all heard preachers that are just, I mean, spellbinding. You just hang on to every word and, and you don't want the sermon to stop. You've heard those kind of guys? I ain't one of them. So, but I did preach for about 30 years and feels really good to be off probation here. I uh, haven't spoke since August of last year. I had somebody told me that this morning. I didn't know people were keeping up <laughs> with when was the last time you spoke, but apparently they somebody did. Anyway, Carrie asked me a couple of weeks ago if I would speak today, and I, I love the opportunity to do that. Huh. Anybody have bats in their house this week? You know, we had a bad week, but I did not have three bats in my bedroom. And that was a good thing. And I won't mention Kathy and Fred's names, but she put it out on Facebook. I can't think of anything worse than having bats in your house, unless it's watching World Cup soccer or something like that. But, uh, how many are hockey fans? Any hockey fans? Any L.A. Kings fans? Kathy brought me a hockey ball this morning. I, uh, I'm proud of that. Uh, I'm not a hockey fan. I, I don't care much at all for it. But uh, I called basketball for 20 years uh, in Florida and Alabama, and I always I enjoyed basketball. Uh, so Jan and I actually went over to Kathy and Fred's uh, one night during the playoffs, and we were kind of learning about icing and brawls and stuff like that, you know, and... So we had to relate everything to basketball, like, okay, so that's sort of like the jump ball in basketball, and Fred was very kind to us. You know, well, yes, sort of like that, because that's like backcourt, right? Backcourt violation, yeah, sort of. You know, so we learned a little bit about hockey, and actually began watching the game after that. Um, how many of you have a, any kind of a hockey team jersey? Show a hand. Okay. What about football? Yeah. Anybody got a Seahawks jersey? Yeah. Do you? Okay, back off. Back off. If we're going to talk about sports, let's talk about something that's actually important. What about Alabama? Uh, you know, I'm, my son and I, we are rabid Alabama Crimson Tide fans. He's got a, a little shirt. That when he was in um, Little League Baseball, I had him an Alabama shirt, and Coach Stalin signed it for him one time. And 
So that's one of his prized possessions, right there above his kids. And, uh, but I never went to Alabama. You know, I never played on their team. I've only been on campus once in my life. But I love Alabama. I have uh, a lot of their jerseys. I have a lot of the have a lot of the national championship shirts. It seemed like like every year for a while we were getting those. And uh, I've got the sticker on the back of my car. You know, these things are called totems. When I wear a jersey, but you never played for the team, you know, it, it doesn't say I played for the team. It says I love that team. I support that team. Here's another one: Michael Jordan. Cologne, <laughs> thirty-five bucks. Target. Um, think about this just for a moment. Now, I think he was probably one of the greatest basketball players of all times, in my opinion. But did somebody watch him running down, breaking the lane in the fourth quarter, covered with sweat, and think, "Man, I wish I could smell like that." that's not what the point of the cologne is you know it actually smells better than that I would assume I don't have any but you know it it just says I identify with that guy I identify with him totems my earliest memory of totems was the old black and white western TV shows where they showed the Indian camp and these extremely white Native Americans that spoke perfectly good English would have in the center of their camp a totem pole. And we almost laugh at people today in third world nations all that, that worship totems, worship gods. But, but they're very powerful in our society. I have a, some of you wear the uh, Awakening Church t-shirt. That's a totem. It says, this is my church family. There's nothing wrong with that. If it's an Auburn shirt, yes, there's something definitely wrong with that. But, you know, it says, this is, this is my family. I have a tag on the back of my car that says, I love the Three Stooges. We won't go there, but that's, you know, I love the Three Stooges. Uh, I probably have about 400 Three Stooges items uh, that I've collected over the years. Totems. Totems. And the phenomena in sociology is called totemism. And when you worship totems to too much of a degree, they become kind of a religion. Let me share with you an interesting phenomena that happened. It actually goes back into the 18th century, but nobody really paid any attention to it until uh, at the end of World War II. I've read about seven books this year on the Pacific Theater, books written by the men that were actually fighting the battles. Fascinating, fascinating books. I'd never been interested at all in the Pacific Theater. But now I've got two more books coming in. I can't read them enough. In the Pacific Theater down in Micronesia, uh, there's a tiny group of islands. I think the main one was called Vanuatu. And there was a group of Stone Age people living there. For the most part, they'd never seen anybody other than themselves or people on the nearby islands. But it was determined that these islands were very strategic to the Pacific Theater Command. And so the Americans and the British showed up one day, cargo ships, and they started unloading. 
And these islanders had never seen anything like this. Suddenly they were, they, they bulldozed out the jungle and created a runway. They built a control tower for the planes taking off and landing. And they brought in Quonset huts everywhere. And they set up hospitals. And they had machinery that the people had never seen in their lives. And suddenly there were just crates and crates of clothing and food and medicine and shiny things. And they were fascinated by it. And for a couple of years or so, these ships came in regularly and these supplies came in regularly and the island people were blessed beyond their dreams. And then the war was over. And the world rejoiced that something strange happened on that little island. As suddenly as they appeared, they left. And now all these islanders are wondering, what did we do to displease the gods? And after several weeks, there are no ships. The Americans, the British are gone. And they can't figure out, why did this happen? And so guess what they started doing? They started pretending to do the things that they had seen the soldiers doing. I'll show you some examples. They built airplanes out of straw and sticks. They would march in formation carrying sticks that looked like guns with bayonets. They would tattoo USA on their chest because they had seen that on the shirts of the soldiers. Here's an anti-aircraft gun made out of sticks. They began imitating what they had seen. Here's a first aid hut and a, and a stick airplane with a tower there. Because they figured if we do what they did, maybe the ships will come back in. So they marched in formation. And they would go around the island during the day and they would bark out commands to one another because they had heard the soldiers barking out commands. They carved handsets. I tried to find a picture of one. I had seen it a few months ago, but I couldn't find it this time. But they would carve out a handset, like a telephone handset out of wood. If you're old enough, think of the professor on Gilligan's Island, except through the magic of coconut juice, his actually worked. But they would take that handset and bark orders into it and move papers around on the desk. And they thought, if we do this, because that's what they were doing, the ships will come back in. Ships never came back in. If you go online, Google cargo cults, probably be nice if you waited till the sermon's over, but Google that. There was, there, was, there was a Prince Edward cult. There was a John Fromm cult. They don't really know the beginning of that, but they assume these islanders heard people say, I'm John from wherever. And so they developed a cult around John from. And they had these cults. And, and they were doing all of these things, pretending to be what the Americans were, hoping to get the same results. That's the fascinating part of the lesson. The point of it, I don't really have a point this morning. Uh, so you can go to lunch and say, well, I heard a funeral director preach a pointless sermon today. <laughs> but I have an application. I think it applies to Awakening Church. I think it applies to the church in general. We tend to do the same thing.
Back in the 90s, I have a real dear friend of mine that was a roommate of Rick Warren. And when Rick's church was exploding in growth, everybody wanted to know, Rick, what are you doing there? And we would go to seminars. I've been to Rick Warren seminars. I've been to Bill Heibel seminars. I've been to John Maxwell seminars. I've been to Max Licato stuff. And, and we would go to these things thinking, okay, if we can just figure out what they did to grow to 20,000 members, if we do the same thing, surely we'll get some growth in our church. It never happened. Never happened. Because God didn't bless those men in their ministry because they were doing the right things in the right order. God just blessed those men in their ministry because God's sovereign and He does things like that. Let me see where I am. It only went 20 minutes the first service, so you know what? If my iPad goes south, we're going to get out earlier than that. But um, I grew up in a church, preached in it for years, and the, the idea was, let's go back to the New Testament and let's do things the way they did it there, as best as we can. And because historically you could not find any reference to instrumental music in worship in the New Testament church, that was out. We just sang vocally. I missed that a lot because the singing was beautiful if you had a good praise team. But some churches said it was wrong to have that praise team. So we started dividing over all that stuff. You know, we were just like the John Frum cult. Um, and as dumb as that sounds, like if we can just do it the way they did it then, God will bless us. Okay, I'll take the Corinthian church then. Because they, were, they had more sin in that church than all the rest of them together. Nobody wanted to imitate that church. But the idea was, let's imitate the New Testament church. But I've been to the seminars and we didn't get those results. And we do that on an individual level, don't we? You know, it, we look for that next best-selling Christian book that will move me to the next step of my maturity in Christ. Or that DVD series. If we can just get everybody in the church to get in a small group and see this series. We can all get on page with this vision. And man, is it going to make a difference. Or if we can just all go to this revival over at this stadium this weekend, that's going to make the difference. And I'm not saying those things are bad. They're not at all. But I'm saying they will not produce spiritual transformation. They just won't do it. Do you ever find it curious that that was never Jesus' style? Jesus constantly pointed to the kingdom of God and then invited people to himself. Whatever it is that you're seeking in your life, in your walk with God, I am the answer, Jesus says. You come to me. Imagine the looks Carrie would get, Pastor Carrie. Imagine the looks he would get if we went out and told all of our friends, you got to come to Awakening Church. You got to meet Pastor Carrie. Because if you can just meet Pastor Carrie, your life is going to turn around dramatically. Those kind of guys end up feeding their people Kool-Aid and catching rides on the tails of comets. You know, those guys, you, we don't do that. 
We don't say come and be a part of Greg England. But Jesus said, come and be a part of me. He didn't point them to a philosophy. He didn't point them to a religion. He didn't point them to a place of worship. He said, I am what you're seeking. Let's look at some verses. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed, should be me, to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. These are all out of John's gospel. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And finally he says, you call me teacher and Lord. Rightly so. for That is what I am. You see a pattern there? Jesus constantly points to himself and says, I have everything you need. He's either the most self-centered, self-deluded person in all of history. Or he is truly the answer to all of our human needs. And he is the answer to the greatest need we have. And that is to overcome death. To live forever. When you step See, Jesus, the prophet said, the kingdom of God is coming. And John the Baptist shows up and there's a period of silence for about four centuries. Then John the Baptist shows up and he says, the kingdom of God is near. And then Jesus shows up and he says, the kingdom of God is here. And he tells them, he said, they were, they were accusing him of being a, a prince of Satan because he cast out demons. And the religious leaders said, well, he could only do that by the power of Beelzebub. And Jesus says, of, of all the people that should have known this, the religious leaders, but Jesus said, if I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God is among you. Jesus came and said, I am the kingdom. I am what you've been longing for. And we live in an age when there's so much emphasis on God's plan for my life. I'm just praying for God to reveal his plan for my life. And Pastor Kerry is one of the few that I've heard say this. (coughs) But it's not so much about your personal relationship with God. Jesus came to save the world. Jesus is coming back to claim his bride. Jesus came and preached the kingdom. And Jesus' invitation is not so much, what is 
Come to me and find God's plan for your life. God's plan for your life is exactly the same as it is for anyone else's. What is it? Step into the kingdom. There's a river that has flowed from Eden through the Old Testament, down through Egypt, into Israel, into the captivity of the Assyrians and the Babylonians, the Persians, and it flows through 400 years of silence and it flows right through Israel again and it's flowing through this valley right now and it's flowing throughout the world. And that, that river, that river of kingdom life is going to flow to the coming of Jesus when history concludes and eternity begins. And God's invitation and Jesus' invitation is that in Jesus Christ, we find everything we need. And he says, step into the river. Step into the flow. Become a part of what God is doing. And open your eyes wide because it's going to blow your mind. But step into the kingdom. If I understand the message of Acts... I have looked and looked and looked. I don't find church programs in the book of Acts. If I find anything there, I find that the church is being led by the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. And everything we've done since then has been kind of a cargo cult thing to try to get back to what they had. But the Spirit of God led these people... And if they did anything, if there was a prevailing ministry at all in the church, it was a ministry of compassion. Going out to the people that Jesus went out to. Being Jesus to the ones that have been rejected in this world. And he sent his disciples out to do the same thing. And he tells us the same thing. Love him. Love others. Enter the kingdom. And allow God to finish what he started in us. Paul puts it like this. It's faith expressing itself in love. That's what it is. Scripture tells us in Philippians 1 and verse 6, God, who began a good work within us, will continue His work until it is finished on that day when Christ comes back again. God begins the work in us and God finishes us. The Hebrew writer says, run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. Imagine the mess it would make if Jesus left the maturing of disciples up to us. You know, on a good day, I might say, hey, do what I do. But those days are so very few and far between. Most days, if I tell you to do what I do, it's going to be disastrous for all of us. But I'm struggling in my walk just the way anybody else does. But the, but the solution to it, the answer to it, is not imitating what I've seen in other people. It's going straight to the source, to the Savior. And letting His Spirit do in me what God has planned all along to accomplish through me. And it's going to look different than yours. But that's the source. 
Peter tells us, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Chris, if you want to bring guys up. Early in his ministry here, Kerry put a thing up on the screen that just resonated with me. It's kind of where this sermon began months ago. I thought, you know, if I ever get off probation and get to speak again, I might do something with that. And this is what it said. It is not the church of God that has a mission. It is the God of mission that has a church. God calls us to fix our eyes on Christ. Christ says He is the one that began this work in us. He will finish it. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. And what God calls Awakening Church to do, and what God calls you and me to do individually, is step into the flow of the kingdom and be swept away by what God is doing. Let me pray with you. Father, we're grateful for the incredible gift of Christ. The amazing sacrifice on our behalf. And that He simply brought to His place in life what You had been doing all along. He culminated the kingdom. He brought it to Himself And now we walk and we flow in that kingdom flow with Him. Father, help us to see beyond all the shiny things around us and realize that our true identity and our true mission and our true fulfillment in Your kingdom comes only through Jesus. And may we not only embrace that, may we show others and invite them to step into the river. In Jesus' name, amen.